You're listening to a Roddenberry podcast. The Trek Files, Season 9, Episode 15. Creative Concept Notes, October 29th, 1986. Welcome to The Trek Files, a look into the archives of Roddenberry Entertainment from the personal files of Gene Roddenberry. And now your host, Dr. Trek, Larry Nemechek. Well, welcome back, Trekophiles. Oh. Hey, yes, I know, all you Trek historians especially, but even you Canonistas and you tech heads, well, especially you Canonistas, you're going to love our show this week. Uh, we've got a great guest, one of our returning guests is back with us. Um, we're going to do a second pass on a document we've looked at before, but from a different angle. So, you know what to do. And if you don't, if you're new to the show, welcome. A new Truckophile spell with an F. We love you. Take a look. They're right there on our Facebook page, facebook.com slash the Trek Files. Hey, we're the only podcast with homework. Well, so to speak. There's our documents of the week. You can check that out. Uh, here's an audio sample. And then stick by us because I'll be right back with this week's guest. and militarism, de-emphasized over previous Star Trek series and very much de-emphasized over the Star Trek movies, we go back to the flavor of the previous series' first year when emphasis was on strange new worlds rather than on space villains and space battles. True, our new Enterprise still has awesome powers in its phaser and photon torpedo banks with everything organized for prompt obedience to chain of command decisions. But the flavor of this new Star Trek emphasizes not military efficiency, but rather the maturity of humanity in our 25th century, in which quality of life is considered enormously more important than technological advances. Hmm. Yes. Hey, Trekophiles, did I mention that our, our era here, our time frame is the roots of TNG. Look at our, look, the date on this document is, is October 29th, 1986. And if that's confusing for a 1987 premiere, this was, as we've seen in past episodes, just a week or two into Gene Roddenberry gathering his original think tank together for TNG. And especially this week, we've looked at this document before, but there's so many parts to it. And I... Hey, I thought it was worth another pass with our week's guest. You've seen him before. He's a longtime assistant director, second and then first on, uh, uh, well, the Berman era, we should say. He's been teaching film here in Burbank at the New York Film School. Um, welcome back to the show. Sorry? Academy. Academy, yes. Thank you, Michael. It's Mike DeMeritt, everybody. Welcome back to the show, Michael. Glad to be back. Hey, we were looking at some some documents and things to talk about, maybe, and this caught your eye. And I'm just, I'm just, you know, again, this is, I love this document because it's it's not only very early, but we have a lot of David Gerald, we have a lot of Bob Justman, because they're all brainstorming ideas for what the new show will and won't be. And this is one of the rare ones I think we have in in actual form this early from Gene himself. So what? What does it bring to mind? What caught your eye when you scanned this? Well, that you're in a lot of trouble. Larry, because it's clearly on there, do not remove from office. So, <laughs> no, they might be coming after you. Um, I, I think one of the most interesting things is, one, let's let's set the time, right, 86. Um, yeah. 
What's happening at this moment of time is uh, the very successful Star Wars movies appear to be coming to an end. Uh, mm. Looks like there's only going to be three. So, um, you know, there's there's the give and take relation. I know that some people consider it an adversarial relationship between Star Trek and Star Wars. I, I don't. Mm -hmm. uh, George Lucas very clearly said that if there wasn't a Star Trek, there wouldn't have been a Star Wars. That's how he pitched it in the first place. And uh, and uh, Roddenberry and Roddenberry's son um, told me personally that if it wasn't for the yeah. success of Star Wars, it wouldn't have been a return to Star Trek. So I, I think conceptually as well as financially. <laughs> yeah. So yeah. They're, what they're seeing here is an opportunity to fill a void. Um, um, Star Wars is coming to an end. What's what's there? What's out there? Other people tried to jump into that void as well without success. So so I think TNG is well-timed. Its reason for existence at the time that it comes into existence is because they know there's a hunger and a void. And this, to me, is what's most interesting is they're trying to figure out how can we be different and how can we be the same? Mm -hmm. uh, what's the mm -hmm. common appeal? Hey, we arms and armaments, we got to be tough. You know, we can't, it's got to be fun. Uh, we got to have some fights. There's got to be risks. But let's not make it about that. Let's not make it about military trying to, you know, uh, save planets. It's explorers. Let's go back to the roots. Mm -hmm. We've done the save the planet. We've done the save the whales. We've done all that. Let's let's go to the roots. And what you see here is a desire, in my opinion, being very opinionated, from Roddenberry to sort of set the floor. You know, we stand on this. Uh, and there's some things I want to see different. Like, we never had any handicap crew members the first time around. If I had suggested mm -hmm. that to Paramount, they would have said, whoa, hang on. What? Are you, whoa, what? You know, they would have said, no, let's do that. Uh, we didn't have the only time children were on the set it was because it was a story point that there were children on the set. But if you think about people being gone away for, you know, a decade, mm -hmm. he's bringing it up. He's like, shouldn't there be children? I'd love to know what the Noah's Ark comments were. Jessman, love to know that. Yeah, the Noah's Ark memo was basically him talking about, because in the beginning of TNG, they didn't know, they were literally saying, are we going to have like, be a five-year mission and finally be a, out on the frontier, not checking in with admirals and, and star bases? And they were literally talking about taking people out for five years and 10 years and not having the choice of being single or, or, or leaving a family behind, like bring your family with you. And everybody gets into eventually the whole thing about how, how, why do they have their families with them when they go into battle? Well, that wasn't one of the original vibes of the series. They decided to make it distinct from original series by saying, not only do they have more comforts, but that they don't have to choose between family or not and right. just bring your family with you and then have the life, you know, have the saucer detach, like that's gonna save everything. <laughs> That's going to make any battle situation better. But that was the idea that we'll put, we'll take, you know, we'll save them, we'll protect them in the saucer and the primary hull and, and just have the battle section, you know, the secondary hull for, for, uh, yeah. for battles. And, and that would be the justification. But again, that was them searching for, as you said, searching for what to be different. And, but I like what you're saying about the time frame, because the 80s are different than the 60s. Very and we much. look, you know. People today will, will do a disservice if you just kind of say, oh, there's today and there's yesterday and then there's everything before. And people, you know, it's like, no, there are different, there's different layers in the geologic record here of pop culture. <laughs> no doubt. Uh, and, and the way current thinking is, um, we probably won't go along these lines. 
right? You know, as as we're beginning to understand, there was you know there's a great fear of what AI should we be afraid of? Is it the Terminator uh, going to take over? Recognize that we're the problem? Is the major, you know, and decide to eliminate us, or is it going to be more the integration of AI into us? There's a lot of conversation about you know the cell phone power of the cell phone wired to you in 50 years it's not a, a separate thing it's sort of part of you and what you see, i see some reflection of this but it's just this simple line mind swarm you know please look over this print by of my smithsonian prologue where i describe the socio organism then let's discuss i think that's going into the mindset of, of what what is a collective mm -hmm. Uh, thought mm -hmm. process in a high-tech environment. It's barely mentioned here, but you know, it's it's an important thing to to think about when you if you're going to truly enter science fiction in that science fantasy. Yeah. Well, the '60s reflects you know young producer trying to get his his stuff on the air yeah. and have a career and a comfortable income. And by the time we get to 1986, it's Gene the Guru who's talked at college campuses for 15 years about, you know, futurism, and he's rubbing shoulders with all these futurists and philosophers and, and and yes, yeah, science fiction people. The um, well, and being devoid of, of a network, right? Because because yeah. his experience in the in in the original series was, look how many people you have to please, and even when you make a damn near masterpiece, they go, it's too damn cerebral. Don't understand yeah. it. Can't you make it more about guys with guns? And uh, well, you know, or, uh, can't, you, can't you get to more planets? Can't you get to more planets? Oh, by the way, spend less. Spend less. Yeah, yeah. Yes. So here he, uh, you can tell that that he. Uh, I I think I can. You can't tell. I believe that <laughs> he's he's liking the freedom of not having of being able to reset it sort of the way. Uh, he may have originally sort of thought of it, uh, colonists, mm -hmm. more of a colonist and less of a militarism. Um, but of course, the series itself would head towards militarism. Um, but by the time he was, you know, after after Gene is gone, it becomes more of your battle-oriented conflicts with good guys and bad guys and questions. Yeah. Well, I wouldn't say even battle because they were limited until CG came along. They were limited on the quote unquote battles, but even just the con the pl the, pol the political conflicts, Klingons and Romulans and Cardassians. Oh my! Yes, yeah. So the idea of in incorporating children into all of this uh, is interesting because you know if you're flying around with your kids, you're also flying around with the very things they can use to control you. Because mm -hmm. if they get their hands on your kids, and you've got a serious discipline problem. Um, which I had wished they had explored a little more, the risk of family being with you in an unknown zone. Um, but they, they chose not to really go that way. Uh, but I find that there's the roots here of it. You know, it's like it could have been. Right. Well, what I love, as I'm rereading this even again, it's amazing how much each sentence carries. He's, they're covering a lot of ground. It's only, what, a page and a half. And every sentence, like there's two sentences here, I think we discussed, uh, we've had this on the show before, but he pretty much, he doesn't outwardly 
you know, criticized the way the original series movies went under Harv. I remember just sitting here thinking, wow, that's an awful lot of bling. You know, <laughs> those are very militaristic, Napoleonic-looking uniforms, and that's what, that was the reaction away from the motion picture pajamas. For, for better or for worse, that was a decision made. They hung with them, and then they spun out, you know, variations. But just these couple of sentences here, he doesn't go on and on and on about it de-emphasized the militarism and armaments, de-emphasized over previous Star Trek series, and very much de-emphasized over the movies, you know, when people are saluting and the Admiral and the bridge and all, although that, that crept in again. We yeah. go back to the flavor when it was Strange New Worlds rather than Space Villains and Space Battles. And, you know, and it, the power is there, but we, uh, we carry a big, we what, speak softly and carry a big stick. We, we speak curiously. <laughs> we expose our curiosity and carry a big stick silently or whatever. Um, but basically, the, the thing that even drove the production design, it's about the maturity of humanity at their time, supposedly, um, and, and the quality of life over the military efficiency of it all, which is what I know out of the gate, that's what they tried to go with. And then, you know, the show evolved as it, as it went along. As it went along, but, yeah, as you discover yeah. what you can tell stories about. We don't need Prussian Guard uniforms and saluting. Uh, getting back to that concept that was actually in the original series and the, the original series pretty much stuck with. It just started to, to wander that way in the movie era. I, yeah, I guess so. I, I, though, though you can see it in the original series when there's an issue, you see that there's a, there is a command chain and that you are expected mm -hmm. to follow it. And what happens when when you have to question someone in the command chain that there's still a a militaristic um, element even to the original series, and that's because I think we're still at a point where we don't know things. So that's sort of true to to history when when exploring ships would often have a militarized leadership, uh, you know, the the captain and the captain structure mm -hmm. with the explorers on board. Here we're just deciding that the captain shall also be an explorer, uh, which leads to those questionable things that the military, people who appeal to the military question, like, why is the captain the first mate going out on the, on the landing party? Right. You wouldn't do right. that. You, know, you don't know if there's hostels there. Well, they're not just the captain and the first mate. They're also the primary explorers. So we're, we're entering a new concept, which is not mentioned in here, but it's implied that that's not going to, that's going to stay the same. I also like the way they talk about the viewing screen. They they clearly wanted to do it something a little bit different than what they could do it. And and the, when I'm reading it, I'm going like, how are they going to do that in '86? That would be so expensive. They need a they need a defined frame where you can put up a green screen or a blue screen. And that's you can see it didn't quite turn out to be what he wanted it to be. But you think of the current uh, mm -hmm. Star Treks. And this description from 1986 sort of mm -hmm. is discovery, right? It's like they finally got the tech to be able to do it without it being an, an, an outrageous cost. I, I don't know if there's a consciousness to do that or if it's just a common thing. I don't want it to look so much like a view screen. Well, they, there's a, yeah, they spent an inordinate amount of time early on. He really wanted this kind of naked view screen approach with the huge, he wanted the huge wall. He didn't want the little window of the original series. And they, you know, like you say, practical limitations got them there. But the original next generation view screen, Maybe. it kind of gets it de-emphasized as the other series go along. But that huge screen, and then remember how they would emphasize 
they would put, especially like when the Ferengi premiere before we know they're going to be comic foils, but when they're really trying to push new dangers or something complex, they would they would shoot the foreground people on the blue screen very, like Picard is very small compared to those first Ferengi or compared to some Romulans or some of the other, yep. you know, aliens of the week. They really went for that huge effect, even with their limitations physically. Absolutely. Yeah. But they, yeah. you, you notice you don't see his feet, you know, there had to be a, a limit of containment, which today, you know, they, the stuff they can do today is much easier uh, to do that. And I think you see it in the newer versions, the newest uh, incarnations of Star Trek, you see almost exactly what he's describing. So uh, it's, to me, it's interesting. I don't know if there was, you know, a Brian Fuller, we're going to make this happen, or, or if it was just coincidental uh, that it happened. But I, I do find that there is this thread that rem that remains all the way back to this memo from 86. And, and just talk about prescience here, just kind of wrapping up the, <laughs> some of the criticism that came out of the Kelvin universe, although we can write the, the JJ movies off as an alternate universe and things evolve differently. But his, his parting shot here on the transport, we can't just beam people around the galaxy. We still have to have some dramatic limits on the... That was one of my personal uh, issues with uh, Enterprise when I worked on Enterprise. Um, the transporter was too safe for me. I, I wish it had been a right. much riskier device to use because that, that was implied in the original series that this they have are still perfecting it. So if you back up even more time, it should have been much more frightening to use. I think they played that up in the pilot and then Jordan sort of never did again. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, well, the whole the part of the problem with Enterprise is everything became too easy too, far too yeah. quickly. But yeah. And you were an eyewitness there watching it all happen. Yep. Uh, yeah. Well, I, I uh, this, again, I think maybe we'll come back to this in the future with another angle on it. But it's, I just love this document because it's very, very early. It's just a snapshot in time of where not only developing TNG, but what genes at a late stage in life, Gene commenting when he could take a breath and there was no, you know, he didn't have to answer to anything established. It was really a brainstorming time to kind of look back at where things had evolved to and take a stock and... Yeah, and, and it got out of the office, so... Yeah. <laughs> well, when you're when you're diving into the Trek files, the Trek files are wherever Gene says they're going to be, and right now they're wherever Rod says they're going to be. So I think we're I think we're good on that a big ugly stamp of the '80s. But uh, <laughs> and we were good on this discussion. Thanks, thanks again, Mike, for joining us oh, and anytime, uh, having anytime. some fun with this. Hey, everybody. The Trek Files is produced by Roddenberry Entertainment. All of our documents and your chance to comment, please do, are available at facebook.com slash the Trek Files. Now, for more deep diving of Star Trek behind the scenes, visit Dr. Trek and Portal 47. Uh, yes, that's me at LarryNimacek.com. Hey, that's where you can also link in for all the new Trek Files swag and shirts at our Tee Public shop, too. Trek well, everybody. This is a Roddenberry podcast. For more great podcasts, visit podcast.roddenberry.com.